So it's always kind of been held under this veil. And I said, you know, let's make it easy for people with the same philosophy. If they like the price, great, they're going to use us. If they don't like the price, well, we save time from running a truck and a comfort consultant out to give them a price when they weren't ever going to buy any house. In this episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast, we hear from Travis Ringy, who has an HVAC and plumbing business in the Phoenix area, and he is freaking killing it. He's got over 3,000 reviews on Google and a perfect five-star at that, and he makes his pricing transparently available on his website. That's something many contractors don't like to do, myself included. I think it's great for transparency, but when I've tried it in years past, it resulted in more frustration and headache than it was worth. But he's thriving with it, so I look forward to hearing what he has to say on it. Of course, if you have any questions after listening to this episode, head on over to the Facebook group, the Home Pro Marketing and Sales Lounge. Look for the link below this episode in the show notes and drop a new thread at tagging myself or Travis. Now let's jump into it. Travis, welcome to the Contractor Momentum Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Travis, man, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. As was mentioned, my name's Travis Ringy of ProSkill Services. My brother and I are business partners. We started in 2009 and as plumbers. Prior to that, our dad was a developer. He told us to go into the trades after he lost everything in the Great Recession. Oh, wow. So even after he lost everything, he's still advocating you to get into the trade business. He said go into the service trades. He basically purchased large lots. Oh, so he was kind of a home builder, spec home builder. Spec home builder, yeah. So I left the family business. I went into the mortgage industry doing subprime loans. Ended up managing that, growing from cold calling to managing that wholesale mortgage bank at 19 and 20. Obviously with the economy failing because of those subprime loans, basically, I became unemployed. My brother in the meantime had gone in following my dad's advice and went into service plumbing and he just kept saying, hey, you got to come do this with me. So I finally took the leap. They put us in the same truck. It was just a small company, great owner, but uh, they put us in the same truck. We rode around together every day, had a bunch of ideas that we you know, were writing down. And, and finally, uh, when it was evident that the business was going to be sold, we decided to strike out on our own. So that was 2009. Started plumbing. You know, I think a lot of people see that you know, early success. They get a little momentum, think you know, they're probably top operators at that point. Our customers said, hey, we would love to see you guys do air conditioning. We're really happy with the service. So how long into the business was it when they started saying this and you started entertaining air conditioning? So yeah, a couple of years in, we actually got our license in 2012 for air conditioning. And we just figured, hey, you know, we know how to operate the business, we thought, and we'll just hire people to do the actual work. Well, it fell flat on its face. Some of the guys we hired, although nice guys, didn't put the quality out that you know our brand was known for. Maybe, you know, at that point, couldn't afford, you know, the top of the industry pay, couldn't afford the benefits, the 401k. So we weren't attracting, you know, really top tier talent. And we had, you know, some serious issues. And so my brother and I in 2013, about a year in, decided, hey, one of us is either going to have to crash course on this and learn how to run an HVAC business and know how to do the work so that we can, you know, hold someone accountable or go to callbacks or whatever needs to be done as a manager, or we need to close the division. So we decided my brother answered all the phones while running a service truck up to eight trucks. So he was dispatching for eight trucks while working in the field. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. At that point, decided that I would go to the HVAC school, which I did. It took about six months and came out. Now we're, we're running about 80% HVAC revenue because of the installs 
and then about 15% plumbing revenue and 5% oh, wow. so electrical. Since 2013, your revenue has shifted from 100% plumbing to 15% plumbing and about 80% HVAC. Yeah, we do a lot of HVAC installs. So, you know, that revenue climbs pretty quick in there. In 2014, we did seven installs, AC installs. And this year we're on track. We should do 1,800 to about 2,000. So we've progressively grown the install department. We're the largest train dealer in the Southwest, largest train and burger dealer in the nation. So our niche is really, we market to master plan communities. We do the same installs over and over and over again. We're known for high efficiency and you know high tech. So we do a lot of tankless water heaters, water treatment, and inverter-based AC systems. You said a lot right there. One thing I still want to get a handle on is, I mean, how much of your revenue or how much revenue were you doing when you entered HVAC. I know a lot of people in the trades, you know, they're in one trade and they try to add on another trade. And in your case, you know, that didn't go so smoothly, you know, as you expressed, how much revenue were you doing in plumbing when you wanted to kind of jump into HVAC? I believe in 2013 or 2012, we would have been at about 600,000 in revenue. Okay. So yeah, you guys were on the smaller side of things. At Absolutely. That point still. Yeah. Just a few trucks. Now, how much plumbing revenue have you grown since then? This year, our budget for plumbing is 3.6, I think, 3.6 or 4 million. Oh, wow. So you, I mean, so you've had growth across the board, just been able to grow faster in HVAC. Yes. In 2009, obviously, as my brother and I in one truck when we started, currently we're running about, we just added five trucks. I think that takes us to 53 trucks. So and it's pretty split as far as technicians goes, plumbing to HVAC, and then you know there's the install department. And then we have an electrical division as well that we started last year. Wow. Okay. So you guys are doing a lot of awesome things. Let's see here. Where can we go with this? Because you've said so much that I kind of want to touch on. You know, having opened up multiple divisions within your own company, what advice would you give to a trades business owner that is in one trade looking to add on another, particularly considering you know, in your words, you said it fell flat on its face when you initially tried the HVAC division. Yeah, I've talked to quite a few guys about this. You know, on one of the groups the other day, Ken Goodrich from Gettle said, you know, I wouldn't ever recommend going into another trade until you fully maximize your current trade. And I think he's really spot on with that. Yeah. There's so much potential in vertical markets and in every trade, if that's your specialty, I would fully exhaust your service area while keeping it efficient and all of the different verticals that are in that market before I would go and consider another trade. It's a lot of work and it just really becomes a distraction. We're kind of struggling a little bit with electrical right now. We acquired that business, a fantastic owner. He runs the division now because we want to control the customer experience. But again, it's not a trade that my brother, I specifically have a lot experience in. So, you know, we're trying to run it like a plumbing or an air conditioning company. It's just not the same. And he warned us about that. He said, Hey, look, I don't have the demand you guys have. You know, it's going to be ran a little differently. I also don't carry the overhead that you guys do. So I think there's, you know, looking back at both expansions now, we left a lot on the table that we could have maximized in the existing trades and probably got more return on investment. Yeah. There's something to be said about kind of focusing on one thing because well, it's incredibly difficult to focus on more than one thing. I know, you know, I run, you know, a screen enclosure company, but it is incredibly hard just to, you know, take care of that stuff and still do a podcast, which isn't even nearly the level 
of engagement or how should I say it, of mental activity, of intellect, whatever you want to say. It just doesn't, it's not nearly as difficult or as busy as running a contracting business. And it's hard for me to focus on the two of those independently. You know, I, I really can't imagine what it would be like trying to focus on two services. You obviously have to have the right team, the right people, the right processes, the right, you know, mental intellect up there. And I mean, that's a real talent. And I think that a lot of people kind of get eager to jump into another trade and not maximize what they've got on their plate already. So it's good to hear your side of it and hear kind of how that all played out for you. I think it seems easy because you're going to remarket the same customer base, right? So like, right. Yeah. All of a sudden that division is the exact same size as my other division. And to a point that's true, you do gain a lot of clientele. It's similar to acquiring a, a company, right? You, you gain that clientele instantly, almost at least a percentage of it. But if you took that same energy and put it into that existing department, there was probably, like I said, other verticals that you could have done the same thing. You know, could you have started specializing in water treatment or tankless water heaters or, you know, growing a commercial division, something like that, where it really caters to the same tools and uses the same resources you already have and experience. Yeah. yeah on the marketing side, they'll just kind of point out a couple years back, we tried to get into a, how should I say this? Basically an incidental service or offering these pergolas, these aluminum pergolas. Fundamentally, they go together the same way as our screen enclosures did. And we're like, all right, we got the customer base. We got all the resources. We got the brand name. We thought this was going to be easy and we had the operations to do it. But from a marketing perspective, it never really caught on. You know, so just because you've got that customer base to remarket to, to contact, solicit, whatever you want to call it, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the success with it. Just one of those things to keep in mind. You can remarket them for anything. So remarket them in what you're already doing good at. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit here. One of the things that came up when I told some people that we were doing a podcast, you were going to be on this podcast, was your reviews. You've got 3,000 freaking reviews on Google and they're, I think, nearly all five star certainly in the upper four stars, I can Google it real quick here and tell you, if you don't already know it off the top of your head, walk me through this. How are you getting these reviews? Yeah, yeah. We've maintained a, a five-star rating, not because we're perfect. We certainly make a lot of mistakes, but... Well, you have 3,058 reviews right now and a 5.0 star on there. That's incredible. Yeah. So really, I think a lot of it is cultural. If we make a mistake, you know, we're the first to fess up and fix it. So we do get one stars, you know, here and there. And the first thing we do is reach out and try to rectify the situation as quickly as possible. How we did it, frankly, we started with review softwares. The inherent problem we found with review softwares is that they can be awkward. Like if the technician is asking for that review and trying to hand them the phone or whatever, that's a horrible experience for the customer. They really feel put on the spot. Other softwares, you know, were review gating, which is not allowed by basically any reputation site. So that sent, you know, 300 and some Yelp reviews into not recommended. Why don't you explain what review gating is? Okay, review gating is just basically, you know, it would send a survey to the customer that says, how was your experience? You know, one to five stars. Three stars or under would get sent to a contact form that basically says, tell us why you weren't happy. Four and five stars would give them an option to put the review on Facebook or Google or Yelp or any of those review sites. So basically, it was a reputation management that you could, for the most part, keep the negative reviews off public view. Okay. Now, could you elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by not allowed? Because everybody uses these platforms. So for example, our Yelp account has like 350 not recommended reviews. And they're not recommended because looking at the I guess IP address, I'm not a techie, but 
Yelp could tell that that came from a software that was basically review gating. So same thing with Google. They don't want you to prevent people from leaving a negative review because it doesn't give a true evaluation of what the company's doing. So most of the software now doesn't do that anymore. They'll let you leave the review one way or another, or you can send it through a contact form, but it doesn't force you one direction or another. So did you guys ever run into a problem with review gating? Is that why you left the softwares? Like, did you ever get shut down anywhere or anything? Yelp threatened to remove our listing. And that was really the only problem. But, you know, I want my reputation to be authentic. I want to be given the opportunity to fix my mistakes when we make them. But at the same time, I don't want to be unauthentic. You know, I'm very transparent in all my business practices. So really what we said is that we're going to go away from this software. We signed up with, I was on ReviewBuzz. What I didn't like about ReviewBuzz too is that they could leave the review on ReviewBuzz, which was the simplest way. It didn't require any logins, but it ended up having, you know, I think there was like 12 to 1500 reviews on ReviewBuzz that, you know, it hasn't holds no sway to a customer. They don't know what ReviewBuzz is. So Yeah. And the other thing too is ReviewBuzz is going to kind of hold you hostage. If you quit paying ReviewBuzz, those however many thousands of reviews you got on there, guess what? They're going bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. So got rid of that software. Train gave wanted us to beta test Podium for them. So we started doing that. Podium, you know, it would just send a text message when the job was completely integrated with Service Titan. Actually, before that, we started just using Service Titan. Then we beta tested Podium so that the technicians in the field would basically decide if they wanted to send the text or not. Well, I hate that idea because they're, A, only going to send the text to who they think is super happy. So again, it's not really yeah. an authentic view of the, of the company as a whole. And B, it gives me a lot less opportunity to get those reviews if they're not sending them to everyone. So we're going to start making it automatically send out the review through Podium, but it was really, what's the word I'm looking for? It didn't give you that, like the warm and fluffy feeling, right? Like it's just basically, please leave us a review here with a link. Clearly automated. Yeah. Clearly something most people would just kind of swipe off and delete off their phone real quick. Yeah. Just no real reason to help us out that way. So we went back to service time when, when we complete a job, it'll, we have the ability to automatically generate a follow-up email. And so that's all we're doing right now. We're not paying for any review-based software. It's all included with Service Titan. We go in and we write, you know, a heartfelt email. That's the word I was looking for. It's not real heartfelt. We write our heartfelt email that says, hey, we strive for industry-leading customer service. We hope you experienced that. If you didn't, please reach out to the correct manager below. We list all of our service managers and general managers and their cell phones and give us the opportunity to make it right. However, if you were, you know, really happy, you know, please leave us a review and it gives them a direct link to Google. And so, so if I'm hearing you correctly there, you are not using any of these programs like review buzz, grade.us nearby now top rated local, give me five stars. I made that one up, whatever, you know, whatever these programs are, there's 101 of them out there that actively solicit your customer list. Whenever they get into the system, I use one, I use grade.us. It sends out a sequence of emails and text messages. You're not using any of these programs to build reviews. Yeah, not at all. No, well, have you ever used these programs? I mean, it sounds like you were using ReviewBuzz. Yeah, we use ReviewBuzz. Podium has the ability to do it. We only use Podium for our web chat at this point. Gotcha. So how many reviews did ReviewBuzz get you? And then how many have you gotten now doing this nearly manually? I think we got up to five, 600 with ReviewBuzz on Google. So holy moose. So you're still getting 2,500 from what is nearly a manual process. It's an automated process, but yeah, it's free. That's nice. So... (laughs) 
So it's free with Service Titan. It's a part of Service Titan. You're just using the feature where it sends the email mm -hmm. at the project's completion. Now, are you guys manually typing that up or is, is it getting some type of standardized message? No, it's a standard message. It's templated in, in the email. It says, how is your experience with, you know, technician name? It fills in the name. And then it's just the email and it goes out automatically. I mean, there are a couple of tricks to the process. Obviously, if we have a customer that's upset, we know they're upset. Our technicians know to call their service manager or dispatch and turn off the job notifications before we complete that oh. job. Now, again, it's all about customer service. So we're not just going to leave that customer. We're going to reach out to them on the phone and say, hey, you know, do a happy call. Hey, how was your experience? Give them that opportunity to vent that we know is coming and then try to fix it for them. So that's one thing. The technicians do ask for the review in the field, which is kind of something that needs to be role played. But basically, they're going to do a job completion summary with the customer, tell them everything they did, warranty, operation, that sort of thing. Can we walk through that role play real quick? Yeah. Let's just say I'm, you know, Corey, you guys just installed, you know, a new system at my house, condenser and handler or furnace as you guys have in Phoenix. And you're about to ask me for a review and the check. Yeah. So we're not going to do a new system because that's a pretty lengthy walkthrough. We'll be here till tomorrow. But Okay. <laughs> we'll just do a service call. <laughs> right here for you. Hey, Corey, if you don't mind coming out, I'm going to show you what we did today and walk you through how the system operates. So we're going to take them out. No problem. No problem, Travis. Let me check it out. So, you know, this is your gas valve. I've got it set at hot, the factory recommended setting. That's going to be about 120 degrees. Just so you know that the heater, as we mentioned, has a six-year warranty on it. It's all based off of this data plate right here. It's got the model and serial number. Just make sure no one ever takes that off the heater unless it's being replaced. As you can see, we did the new ball valve supply lines. We got the pan piped to the floor to help prevent any you know, future damage to the pedestal. I cleaned up all my work area. Does it look, everything look satisfactory to you today? Looks pretty good. Yeah. We cleaned everything up. Thank you. Perfect. Do you have any other outstanding questions for me before we settle the bill? No, I think everything's good here. Perfect. So at this point, we're going to settle the bill, right? And then at the end, they're going to say, hey, Corey, listen, you said you're satisfied with everything today. At ProSkill, we're rewarded for great customer service, not sales. So if you don't mind, after the, the job's complete, you're going to get an email that asks for a review. If you don't mind you know, give me that five-star review would really help me out. Okay, I'll do that for you. Thank you, Travis. And so as long as the service experience is worth writing about, you've given them that wow experience, customers are willing to help the technician out if that's how they're rewarded, right? Like if your technician goes there, they didn't sell them, try to sell them a bunch of stuff, they're transparent, they're honest. From our experience, we'll get about a 10% response rate on those. Wow. So let's go back to those emails real quick. It just says, hey, could you leave us a review? Give me the kind of overall wording of what it asks again. Yeah, to a point. I mean, it's heartfelt. Yeah. It says, you know, hey, we're striving for great customer service. If we fell short of that, please call us below. We want to take care of it. However, if you love the service, you know, your five-star review helps us grow and keep our marketing costs down. And then it links to, where does it link to from there? Well, we send it to wherever we want to get reviews at that point, but primarily we send it to Google because that seems to be the most important. Yeah, that seems to be getting you the most ROI for sure. If you want to talk about ROI, our Google Places gets us about three to 500 calls a month. Wow. So pretty good ROI on that. And you said that you're getting about 10% of people are leaving a review off of that email. So that means that for... The roughly 2,500 people that it's pulled in, you've pulled in 25,000 customers. Yeah. And so one of the problems with Google is that they can only leave a review once. So we have customers that have literally updated their review five, six, seven times with dates. Yeah. I've been in that boat before. Somebody's like, can you leave a review? It's like, well, 
I can't, I would if I could, but already have. Yeah. So that's one of the inherent problems. And, you know, we always just email them back and say, Hey, thank you for being so willing to help us out. You know, you've already given us a review, so just don't worry about it. Because sometimes I think there's an issue with the system and they just don't understand that Google is just not going to let them leave another review. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I am just absolutely blown away that you've been able to build that amount of review count and that amount of feedback without any of these automated systems or any of these automated platforms. That is just phenomenal. So let's shift gears here. One of the things that caught my attention about your business and why I actually invited you on the podcast is your commitment to transparent pricing. We know in the contracting business, a lot of people like to, I don't want to say not give pricing or not be transparent about it, but they feel that making pricing too easily available in some way diminishes the sales process. But you have taken it to a whole different level and you've actually got the pricing put on your website what was the catalyst behind that? Because I've never seen anybody doing quite what you're doing in that area. So I'll give a little history that kind of led up to this. We launched with no service charge, no diagnostic fee. And the reason we did that is because everyone around us, we were trying to differentiate ourselves. Had Absolutely. You know, 89 to $159, you know, service fee or diagnostic fee. So we said, hey, look, we're so honest and transparent that you can call us, we'll give you a quote but we don't want to come out unless we're doing the work. And so that kind of started our, our business philosophy of just being transparent because customers liked it. And if we're not getting a charge to drive to the house, then, you know, like I said, we don't want to be there if they're not going to go at the work. So we really got started pricing everything over the phone. And when we were going to the job, it was like, you know, hundred percent close rate. Like we are there to do the work. We came with the materials and we are starting when we stepped foot on the property. So that kind of led us up to, we had a Eric Bryan with Precision or newacunit.com. We are the launch market, Phoenix, for his online pricing. And, you know, I thought it was a great idea. I took it as a different strategy. You know, I said, look, there's go to market. It's, it's very inexpensive. Like, I want to go to market and be, say, hey, we're transparent. Check out our reputation. You know, we're honest. We do good work. And this is what it costs to do so. We wanted to build it into our sales story that, hey, everyone pays the same price. You can view it anytime online. You know, as a millennial myself, I've kind of always hated the, how hard it is to get pricing out of not just contractors, you know, other, you know, automobile, you know, the car mm -hmm. market and stuff. Yeah, it's almost like they don't want to give you the straight price until you're going to sign on the dotted line and commit to the price that you don't actually know what it's going to finally be at the end. Yeah, it's always kind of been held under this veil. And I said, you know, Let's make it easy for people with the same philosophy. If they like the price, great, they're going to use us. If they don't like the price, well, we save time from running a truck and a comfort consultant out to give them a price when they weren't ever going to buy any house. So obviously the one hard part is how do I quantify who hasn't used us because they saw the price that could have possibly closed with a good salesperson on site? I don't know. But we do track everyone that comes through the form. We do follow-up emails. It's really at this point a marketing tool. And we do get you know pretty decent response when we start a conversation through those people who didn't actually click that they wanted a system. A lot of times they're shopping. And we get on those sites quite a bit. If someone actually submits the form, they're buying a system. I mean, we're going out to measure, make sure it fits, everything's correctly sized, and then we're installing. Let me stop you right there real quick, because for our listeners, at this point, they can't relate quite to what you're saying. So let me explain it. If you go onto his website, 
the ProSkill website, you can go on there and you basically select a service that you're interested in from a broad perspective, like an AC replacement, system replacement, select on that. And then you enter some basic criteria, which is kind of like the lead capture information at this point. That's like your name, email, phone number, and I think zip code. That's how they're probably filtering out who is in the service area and who is not. And then from there, you go through and you literally answer a little series of questions. How many square foot is your house? And that correlates roughly to the tonnage. And then it gives you some options for SEER. And I think that was some of the other kind of filterings on there. If you're going to answer, you know, where's the air handler? Is it gas or electric? Yep. How many systems are you replacing? What are the sizes of those systems? And then once you select that, that's going to correlate, you know, if it's an attic unit, it's going to give you the attic scope of work. If it's a vertical unit or a package unit, it's going to give you that, that scope of work for those. So at the end, rather than most of these things that kind of funnel you through this get quote, it's just basically like, thank you, we'll be in touch, right? His actually gives you the pricing on it and then a very detailed scope of work. I was actually impressed when I seen this. I went through it and I was thinking, you know, it just spit out a price, but it actually spit out the details kind of, I don't want to say line item by line item, but the detailed scope of work, which is about 20 or 30 lines long for replacing a four ton system straight cool, which is what I did, you know, when I went through the system. So it was very intuitive and it was genuine and authentic and transparent in that, you know, at the end of it, this wasn't just a lead capture, but it actually gave a price, which is crazy. There's no other contracting business out there that I've seen. And mind you, I, I look at contracting business websites all the time and I try to find websites that are doing this. I've seen nobody else doing this except for you, Travis. Yeah, there's a couple of people. I mean, there's some people that have done the, the R&D, right? The rip off and duplicate. So, but, you know, it wasn't an original idea of us. Again, you know, Eric did it before us and I thought it was a good idea. So I think as the generations change that, you know, transparency and being forthcoming with this stuff is going to become more and more imperative to being successful in the industry. Absolutely. Let's ask some questions here about the pricing process because I've done this. I've actually had pricing on my website a few years back, lasted about a month or two and really didn't quite work out for us. So, you know, when somebody goes through there, number one, do they get different prices based on zip code? And if so, has that been a problem? Absolutely not. Actually, part of our sales story is that we don't charge you anything different. Everyone pays the same price no matter where they live, what they drive, where their income level is. We put our best foot forward up front. Gotcha. Now, has there ever been an issue that has came up where somebody got the pricing that was on the website and you either A, could not honor it or B, the website estimate was inaccurate and you you know had to change that before you actually closed the deal? Inherently, some people select the wrong size unit. But for the most part, because we always have the backup is we can take them back through that same calculator and say, well, this is what you actually have. They still get the same, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling of the transparency. And that's what they pay because that's what they have. Of course, we're going to verify load calculation. We do a load calculation on site for all units, at least measure if there's any potential for it being incorrectly sized, then we will do it right on site. But it depends on the customer's time. But we do a load on every house. But for the most part, People understand, you know, if you're leading with honesty and integrity, people understand that if it's not in that whatever 30 line item scope of work, there's additional work to be done. The return duct needs upsized. They understand that that's not included. And so they're pretty open to, you know, we can only price it so much of what a basic install would typically cover. And we put everything in that a basic install would typically cover. We're not going in trying to upsell them on additional work or upgrades. We're going in saying, hey, this is the price unless you need something in addition. Absolutely. Now, do you guys run an active sales team as well? Or is it basically like 
if somebody calls in and says, hey, I need to get an estimate, do you basically just walk them through the series of questions and tell them the price? Or do you say, okay, let me send somebody out? No, we have a fantastic sales team. We have four comfort consultants. And even if we someone selects systems online, we still send a comfort consultant out because we video survey every job before we do it, document everything that we need to. We, we do have a very thorough scope of work. So we need all the supply duck sizes, all that stuff. So, so you're, you're basically getting on site before you're taking a deposit or signing a contract? Yeah, before we sign a contract, we tell customers they don't, no deposit needed. You pay once the job's done and you're satisfied with the way the unit operates. And then we are toying with the idea. So when our comfort consultants in demand season get really overbooked, my brother and I will you know, tell our technicians to just put us on the phone with the customer in front of a computer and we will walk them through the website and do kind of an over the phone sales call, which has been really successful for us. So we're toying with the idea of marketing leads that way of like, hey, save time, we can go through it together. We've toyed with the idea of locking the website and not allowing people to go through it unless they're on the phone with us. But we decided against that because we think it's a good tool for our business structure. Yeah, I think what you got is working great. Don't change anything, to be honest, man. That's my whole take on it. But I think, again, saving time, you know, people as they get comfortable with technology, that face-to-face is less and less necessary. I mean, there's some fantastic closers out there that would definitely disagree, but it's just a different business strategy. But I think over-the-phone sales, especially on tech turnovers, would can be very beneficial and really make maximized resources. Now, what is your closing rate for all these leads that come in through essentially pricing themselves? You know, we're very open with our pricing in my company. If somebody calls in, anybody that picks up the phone will be able to give them a price once they have the address and, you know, brief discussion on scope work. Anybody that picks up the phone in my company will give them a price within five minutes. You know, we we don't really play any smoke and mirrors type of games, or we don't require an in-face, you know, estimate with both decision makers present kind of thing. We give out a lot of numbers, but I will say coincidingly, our closing rate is incredibly low. We are the easiest company to get on the phone and talk to and get a number from, but we close relatively few. Are you in the same boat with that? I mean, what does your closing rate roughly look like from the people that come through and price out a new system versus the actual number of people that go with it? So, If they click, basically place the order, I only know of one instance where we ended up not doing a system. Oh, so there's actually a place the order button. I I missed that part. Yeah. So if you go on, if you still have it, that's one part where we can work on the intuitiveness of the website. You actually have to click see features first of a system. And then you can say, choose this one. Sorry, I'm doing it with you here. It's okay. I went to the website too on my computer screen. It said zip code. I don't know any Phoenix zip codes off the top of my head. So <laughs> just wait for you to get through it. So it says select this one. Once you click select, it rehashes what you selected, the unit, the cost. And you basically just fill out you know, a form at that point. It's not going to check you out or anything. And then it asks you, you know, should we be aware of any of the following? A warm room, a noise concern. You have solar. You want indoor air quality or you want to purify the air, whatever. Do you have problems with odors or allergens? So if they click that send, again, I only know of one instance where we did not install the system and it's because they selected like a one and a half ton and they needed a a lot larger unit and then the price became an issue. But if people are realistic with it, they close it. And what really surprises people, when we went to market, we had a six options. Our, Our entry level option was trains Ameristar, which is just, you know, overseas production, extremely price competitive. (laughs) 
And we thought a lot of people would choose that. We figured the website would push a lot of people into entry-level equipment. What we found is that most people chose by human nature in the middle. They're choosing 16s, 17s, and 18s. The good old one, two, three option kind of table. Yeah. So we actually, we took the Ameristar off because no one was selecting it. And we put, within about the last year, we took our two-stage off too because we just don't like the two-stage unit. So we basically have people choose 16s or 18s which is really nice. It puts them into that one of those two boxes, which are units that we've had a lot of success with. So, Damn, that is some good stuff, man. I'm going to be looking into how I can kind of revisit this in my own company and pull all this pricing stuff back together. Let me ask you another question here. How many of the people, or not how many of the people, because you probably don't have the aggregate count, but how many people actually buy online by just going through and you know ultimately getting to the end of the price and accepting that price and saying, let's schedule it? like clicking the button without even having a phone call? Very few. We, we get a few a month. So again, it, it's a lead capturing tool. So we're going to get your information and we're going to reach out by email, say, hey, we're the owners. We have a video embedded in it. Hey, we're the owners. These are our business philosophies. You know, if you're interested in buying a new unit, we'd love to get on site, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we get a lot of response on that. So we end up booking a lot of leads through it still. But I think the power of it really comes to our sales story on site is that, even if they didn't know about the pricing, once we tell them about it, they think, you know, customers think that's pretty cool that we're just open and upfront about it. Yeah, it takes the trust factor to a whole nother level because now it's not just a price you made up for that customer. No, they can actually go online and duplicate the process to getting that price and see that that is the price you charge for it. And that's what we actually present on too. So we obviously have a, you know our, our, our book that talks about, you know, breaks down the scope a little bit more, licensing, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, we're going to take them through the website and narrow their options by the website. So we don't, we save a lot of resources, not having to sit there and, you know, pen and paper and build out options. They narrow it down to one or two systems from the website, and then they'll actually create the proposals off of that. Right on. Thanks for explaining that, Travis, and sharing everything that you have. We got to call it a wrap on this episode. For you listeners out there, if you have any questions on what we discussed, head on over to the Facebook group, Home Pro Marketing and Sales Launch. Look for the link in the show notes and drop a new line. Signing off.